All right, good evening. Time to get started. All right. Um, let me just, a couple of announcements here for you folks tonight, just to make sure that everyone here at least is on the same page, and I, I hope you'll help me to get the word out. Uh, Mike very graciously sent out an email to all of those who are on our email list, but many of you may not be, so this may be the first you're hearing about this. But uh, we had planned on doing tonight and then December the 5th and December the 12th. Uh, this is it. I apologize, but this is it. This is the last mine for the year. Reason being is the construction company is coming in next week and beginning to demolish this room and tear that wall out and go through that lounge there between here and room 107 108 and totally begin to turn this area into a children's area. Because when we move into the new building, the children's area is going to be this area. The young, young children, newborn to like kindergarten, is going to be over there. And the adults in our classroom, when we move into the new building, will be the largest adult classroom in the new building. But until we can move into there in March, we'll be back here in this room in January. But we had to... Uh, and, and the mine is not the only ministry that this is affecting. It's affecting a lot of different ministries. Uh, but uh, so I, you know, I apologize. I'm going to miss you guys. It's going to be till January the 9th before we get back in here again and pick up the mine doing studies in God's Word. But I hope you guys have a wonderful holiday season, a wonderful Christmas, and uh, hopefully I'll see you all back on January the 9th. So if if you meet anybody walking around the campus who's looking for a midweek Bible study, again, please invite them to come in January when we start back up. We'll be advertising it again and whatever. But please don't come on the 5th or the 12th of December because this room will be totally destroyed. <laughs> there won't be anything in here. Yes? Where are we going to get coffee? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It's a good question. Uh, so yeah, the, the, the cafe will, will, will stay. It'll be just this room and then the wall knocked out on this side over through that up into 107, 108. But yeah, so anyway, I, I, and then I got to thinking, okay, I thought I was going to have three weeks to do Jude. So then I decided, well, I wasn't going to do Jude at all. And then God said, no, you're going to do Jude one week. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going <coughs> to... We're going to be in the book of Jude. And it looks like, from the uh, website, as far as voting on the next book that we're going to be studying, that we're going to be looking at uh, Hebrews. Unless uh, one of the other books like gets a million votes in the next you know, couple of weeks. Which could happen. Could happen. All right. Uh, is there anything else I want to say? So any questions about the schedule, this is it. I will see you next year. <laughs> no, uh, I know. That uh, sounds weird, but at this point of the year, that's sort of what you have to say. I'll see you next year. Although I'll see you all around the campus and around the church services and whatever. And just a, you know, a shameless, shameless little plug. Uh, I will be speaking at the four services that we're going to have on New Year's Eve, on December the 31st. So... Uh, you know, Pastor Ryan's going to be doing uh, this series called Epic, 
Uh, Pastor Lynn is going to be doing one of the epic series, and then he's going to be doing all nine Christmas Eve services. And then I'll be speaking the next week on New Year's Eve. But on New Year's Eve, instead of six services like we normally do, we're just having the four morning services. We're not going to have any afternoon services on December the 31st. But uh, So that's sort of where the schedule goes. And So anyway, let's dive into it. Let's ask the Lord to bless our time together and we'll get into the book of Jude tonight. God, we thank you for uh, all of your blessings. We thank you, Lord, for your word and how it just enriches our lives and encourages us each and every day. We thank you, Lord, for the light that it gives us. And we, uh, Lord, just pray that we not only would be hearers of the Word, but that we would be doers of the Word, that we would put the Word of God into practice in our everyday lives. Father, help us to make this practical tonight, uh, because, Father, most of all, we don't want the Bible just to be a book of information. We want it to be a book of transformation. We have come here tonight, Lord, hopefully to allow you to change us to be more like Jesus Christ. And Father, that's the goal. That's why we're here. That's why we want to open up your word and we want to get to know it because we want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, I just pray tonight that once again, your Holy Spirit would ultimately be our teacher and that, Father, we would not grieve or quench your Holy Spirit in any way, but Lord, just allow him to have full reign over this uh, hour together, uh, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, book of Jude. It is the next to last book in the Bible, so just find Revelation and go back a little ways. All right? As I've shared with you before, the book of Jude is probably my second favorite book of the Bible, uh, because when I first became a Christian, I was uh, given some good advice, and that is... Find a small book in the New Testament. And so, as I started going through the New Testament, I thought, well, Jude's only 25 verses. That's pretty good, you know. So that's where I started. And it's just, uh, just a book that I fell in love with. And it's just got so much packed into 25 verses. So, here's the deal. I want to say this up front. We all know that the book of Revelation, the last book of the Bible, is about the revelation of Jesus Christ and, and, and looking at the glorified Christ, but it's also a book of the Bible that does talk to us about the last days and last things and the last things on God's prophetic calendar and all of that and how God sort of is going to wrap all this up, okay, uh, type of deal. And so when the book of Jude was included in the Bible, it was very strategically placed in the Bible before the book of Revelation because the book of Jude is a book that is written to Christians primarily living in the days before the things that's going to happen in Revelation take place. Well, guess what? Because the things in the book of Revelation haven't taken place yet, the book of Jude is a very good book for you and I to be reading because we are that group of people that are alive before the events of Revelation are beginning to unfold. And so a lot of what Jude has to say to us really is timely, really is practical and all of that. And that's why it's inserted right before the book of Revelation. If there's any book that's written to the generation of Christians who will be alive before Jesus comes, it is the book of Jude. Alright? So, I wanted to say that by way of introduction. And I'm only planning on getting through two verses tonight, okay? Uh, 
because there's a lot in these two verses, and I just want to sort of whet your appetite to read and study these. I mean, you can figure, you could get up and read the book of Jude five times before you go to work every morning. I mean, 25 verses, you can get through that. And you'll be surprised as you read it how much uh, the Lord can really, you know, bring out as you read and as you study the book of Jude. You'll notice there that Jude just begins like other Bible writers do, and that's by, first of all, reminding us of who the letter was from. And again, remember, this is the opposite of the way we do letters, and of course I know most of us don't handwrite letters anymore with email, but even with email stuff, in our culture today, we write a letter, we have a greeting, but we write a letter and then we don't put our name till the end. So that if somebody wants to know who wrote it, they got to go down, scroll. Oh, okay, that's who this is from, all right? In that day, the name came at the very beginning. And one of the reasons why they put their name at the beginning was because just the very look at certain people's names would be an encouragement. As I've shared with you before, sometimes you have people in your life that if you got a phone call from or a letter from or a card from... And it was a certain individual that has just been such a refreshment and an encouragement to you. Just seeing their name at the top is like, oh, this is going to be good. I'm going to enjoy reading this. Or this is going to be uplifting. Or this is going to be positive. But there's other people in our lives where, oh no, I'll save that for later. I can't handle that right now. You know, it's not going to be good. And so Jude is just identifying himself right up front. And he says... This letter is from Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, wrapped in the love of God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be lavished on you. Now, one of the reasons why this book is so important is because of even the very name of the book itself. It's the book Jude. But Jude is short for another name that we actually are more familiar with. And that is the name Judas. But Judas had such a bad vibe in even that day that we weren't going to call this the book of Judas because, again, that has so many negative connotations to it that Judas took his shortened form of his name and attached it to this book, Jude. Just like my name is technically Jeffrey, but the only one that calls me that's my mother when I was in trouble. And so I go by Jeff. Well, here his name is Judas, but he usually went by the name Jude. But the reason why that name is significant is because, again, we're talking about the climate in which the the church is going to be in in the days before Jesus comes back. And one of the things the Bible teaches that's going to be true in the last days is that there's going to be a lot of what I call pretenders to the faith, a lot of Judases, a lot of people who maybe not necessarily will betray, in a sense, like Judas did, the Lord Jesus, but someone who will claim to be a follower of Jesus, someone who all outward appearances will look like they are a follower of Jesus, but in reality... There's no relationship there. And again, we've talked about that in this room. And so I think one of the first things that just by the name itself that we can learn is the importance in God's eyes of being real. 
of being transparent, of being genuine, of being sincere, because we're going to live in a culture, both outside the church and within the church, where you're not going to find a lot of genuineness, a lot of sincerity, a lot of people who are real. But you're going to find a lot of people who are going to put on a, a spiritual facade. And again, we've talked about that when we studied Second Peter. They have a form of godliness, but there's no spiritual power there. Or they profess to know God, but they deny Him by the way that they live. And yet they can say all the right things, they can move in the right circles, they can come to church, they can carry their Bible, they can do all these things, they can have a lot of spiritual activity in their life, but is there the reality of a relationship with God there? And, and we get that with Judas, because if you remember the story of Judas, even up to the time where he betrays the Lord, the Lord is sitting at the table that night with all of his disciples. And, and the Lord says, one of you is going to betray me. And you remember the reaction of the disciples? They were like, well, Lord, who is it? They weren't like, oh, is it Judas? In other words, <laughs> Judas had fooled them, you see. And, and we live in a world today where we have people who fool us. We've been fooled. I've been fooled. And, and so... Here's the climate. And so from the very name itself, we can take from that that we need to be real. Don't be a Judas. Don't be not necessarily a betrayer, but a pretender. Somebody who just follows along with Jesus or, or follows in the company of those who are following Jesus, but has no relationship with Jesus Christ and who's just talking the talk and, and knows, again, all the God talk and all of that, but there's really no reality there. There's no genuineness there. There's no sincerity there. That's what the name is screaming to us from the pages of the book of Jude. Because if you go over here to verse 3... Notice the reason he's primarily writing this is he says, Dear friends, although I've been eager to write to you about our common salvation, I now feel compelled instead to write to encourage you to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints, for certain men have secretly slipped in among you, men who long ago were marked out for the condemnation I am about to describe, ungodly men who have turned the grace of our God into a license for evil and who deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So again, it's all about... The pretenders versus those who are real. And God is looking for us to be real. Okay? Transparent. And that doesn't always, you know, obviously that <clears throat> doesn't mean perfect. Doesn't mean sinless, but it, it means to be real. And uh, I don't know about you, but it's refreshing when you and I run into somebody who's real. Somebody who's not putting on a front. Somebody who's not putting on a facade. And just saying the things that they think we want them to say, or doing the things we think... But they're, they, they are real. You know, there's, there's a reality there. And it's not just pretend. So, the name itself just has so much packed into it. And I think by, again, 
the very use of His name being the title and the author of the next to last book of the Bible can say very, very much to us. Now, I don't want to go into this tonight. This will be something you can do some homework on. Because I didn't want to take the time to do this development tonight. But, I believe that Jude was also the brother of Jesus. And so remember that and keep that in mind as we go down through these verses because that's going to be huge. Now again, there's very good reasons why you can come to that conclusion because obviously there's a lot of people named Judas in that day and age. But we have some clues as to why we believe that this was the brother of Jesus. Okay? In other words, another son of Mary and Joseph after Jesus came along, the virgin birth way. So notice that Jude says, first of all, to us, let's strive to be real. Because this is from a man whose name just conjures up all kinds of things. Judas. And we don't want to be a pretender. We want to be real. But then notice he says, oh, and by the way, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Let me stop there with the word servant. It's the Greek word doulos. And unlike the words that we, when we hear the word servant, or also some translations have slave, we get, oh, that's a bad word. Because, you know, we, we associate that with some of our history in this country and all of that, and, and even other places in the world where slavery still exists. That's not what this word meant. This word meant somebody who willingly and voluntarily wanted to be the servant of somebody else. Not somebody who was forced into it, not somebody who was born into it, but somebody who willingly and voluntarily wants to be the servant of somebody else. Because if you study the Bible, you you come to the realization that the Bible teaches that we're going to be the servant of something or someone. We're going to serve Satan, we're going to serve sin, we're going to serve God, but we're going to serve money, we're going to serve something. So the Bible would just say that the important thing is here, pick what master you want, because you and I are going to have some, someone or something that we as a human being are going to end up serving. And obviously the Bible would say that Jesus Christ is the greatest master we could ever have because he loves us. And he only wants what's best for us. And he's never going to, you know, ask us to do anything that's going to be detrimental to our relationship with him. So if I'm going to serve somebody, my goodness, I'm going to willingly serve Jesus Christ and voluntarily serve Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus laid down his life for us, but he doesn't force us to serve him. If we choose to serve him, it's because we want to, because that's the way God set it up. Could God have made human beings serve Him? and love? I'm sure He could have. But would that have really brought any satisfaction to God? Saying, well, the reason I've got all these people doing what they're doing is because I'm making them do it. I mean, just like as a parent, anybody who's been a parent, you can relate to this. If your children do for you what you know is pleasing because they want to, that means so much more than if you make them do it, you know. And God's no different in that respect as our Heavenly Father. So, it's a voluntary thing. It's a, it's a willing thing. 
And there really was a precedent for this in the Old Testament. If you read the book of Exodus, you find out that, that there were times where the servants were allowed to go free and say, hey, you know, you're, you're not my servant forever, whatever. You, you, you came into my home and you served our family and whatever, but there's no string that you're allowed to go free. And where the servant would say, you have treated me so well. You, you have, you've done me so good, so much good by being here that I willingly, voluntarily want to be your servant forever and ever. And I don't ever want to leave. And uh, it's just a great, beautiful picture in the Old Testament uh, book of Exodus of what Jude is talking about. So, be real is what we learn from the name of Jude. And be a servant is what we learn from the example of Jude. He says, hey, I'm a willing, voluntary servant of Jesus Christ. But here's the other thing I wanted to point out. That first phrase of Jude, verse 1, is probably the most powerful testimony to the deity of Jesus Christ that you and I will find anywhere in the Bible. Why? Because remember something. This was the brother of Jesus. He saw Jesus every day as he was growing up. And he is saying to us here, I never saw Jesus do anything. I never saw Jesus... I never heard Jesus say anything that would prevent me from believing He is the Son of God and I can serve Him. That's a pretty powerful testimony. I mean, if, if we all want to know who we really are, ask not just your friends, ask your family, right? Because your family lives with you. And again, we can be one thing in public and then we can go home and we can be a totally different thing. And even Jesus then Himself is modeling for us. Jesus wasn't one thing out in the public where He was teaching all great things and healing people and stuff. And, and even before that, as a child growing up and, and in this home, He wasn't like, you know, this holy terror as He was growing up as a child and then got to a certain point and, you know, kicked it into gear. Jude is saying to us, that as I was growing up with Jesus Christ, He was real. And every day as my brother, I never heard Him say anything, I never saw Him do anything that would prevent me bowing my knee to Him and exclaiming Him as the Lord and Savior of this world. That's huge. Because if anybody knows Jesus, it would have been His brothers and His sisters. So even Jesus models for us the importance of being real. He was real even in his home growing up with his brothers and sisters. And then he says, from Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. And this is where we get a hint as to the fact that he was the brother of Jesus. Um, and I like what Jude does here. Because not only do we know that he's telling us to be real and and Let's be servants, because Jesus said, I didn't come to be served, served, I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ was the epitome of, of realness, of genuineness. He was also the epitome of being a servant. And if we're going to be effective in this world in which we live, especially before the things unfold in the book of Revelation, God needs to see people who are real. 
The world needs to see people who are real, who are followers of Jesus Christ, and who are willing to be servants. Who are not willing to sit back and have everything done for them, but who are willing to, in a sense, get down and get dirty and and be a servant to other people. That will make a tremendous impact in the world in which we live. Because most people today aren't out being servants. It's what can I do and what position can I get to to where people do everything for me rather than me doing for others. And then I see humility here in this first verse. Because Jude doesn't write this letter and go, by the way, I'm writing you this letter and I just want to let you know, yes, I grew up with Jesus, so you should treat me differently. You know, one of those name droppers where, yes, I was the brother of Jesus. You notice he doesn't say he was the brother. He said he was the servant of Jesus. He said, I was the brother of James. And I think in a sense, again, there's humility coming out there. Because he wasn't throwing out, first of all, that he grew up with Jesus. It was more, oh, I'm the brother of James in that respect. And I just think that Again, when we think about things that can make an impact in the world in which we live, humility is huge. Because Jesus taught humility. Jesus modeled humility. The Bible teaches that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And so James tells us to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt us in due time. And the importance of humility, and we've talked in the mind before about the fact that the one sin, if you will, that caused Satan to sin and become sinful and rebellious against God, against God was the sin of pride. That he was probably the most beautiful of all of God's angelic creations. He got lifted up in pride. He said, I will be like the Most High God. And so what is Satan trying to do today? He's doing the same thing to those who... It's all about pride. Because God's Word teaches that we are to be dependent upon God... And that takes humility, and Satan wants us to be independent of God, and so he wants to work in our pride area so that we don't think we need God, because the more we don't think we need God and we live independently of God, we're we're doing exactly what Satan wants. God wants us to depend upon him. Jesus said in John 15, 5, without me you can do nothing. You need me. I'm the vine, you're the branches. You need me to supply everything that that you need, and I will supply it, but you need me, you need to be dependent upon me. And Satan is all about creating an independent spirit within us and and tempting us with our own flesh to be independent of God. So the whole humility thing is huge today. And you think about these three traits that Jude brings up at the very beginning of this book, how much of an impact and how powerful would it be even in our society today when you meet somebody who's real, who's willing to be a servant, and who's humble. You put those three characteristics together, and I guarantee you, you're going to have a Christian who God can really use to make an impact for him in the world in which he lives. A real servant who's humble. And that's exactly what we get here at the beginning of the book of Jude. And that was just the first phrase there. From Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. All right, comments, questions, thoughts. Keep going, okay. Now notice that 
he says, to those of you who are called. And a lot of people get, you know, what's it mean to be called? You know, um, I think if you study the Bible, there's a lot of different callings, if you will. The Bible teaches that God calls human beings to fellowship with him, to have a relationship with him. That's the most important call, if you will. He also calls us to be a witness. He calls us to be holy. There's all kinds of different callings, but I, I umbrella of all of the callings of God on our life under this one word, purpose. And one of the things here that Jude then is reminding us of too is that not only does God want us to be real and be a servant and be humble, but remind us of the great purpose we have because we have a relationship with God. That we do not ever live a purposeless life. But every day our life can be filled with purpose because God is calling us. And His calling is very individual. It's very personal. So that the calling on Jeff Royce is not the same as the calling on Mike Haddich. Or on Travis or Mike or anyone else. The calling is a very personal calling. And God gives us a purpose to get up out of bed and to face that day every day. There's, there's a purpose. There's, there's things that God can do in our life and through our life and towards other people that day, that 24-hour period. And so we can wake up every day knowing that even though we live in this time, that God has a great purpose for us being alive. If that were not the case, then the minute we, or the second we would accept Christ as our Savior, God would just zap us to heaven. The reason why God doesn't just zap us to heaven the moment we accept Christ is because God has a purpose for us staying back here after we know Christ. And, and I think the I don't know, sad, tragic, I don't know what adjective to use, is I run into so many Christians who struggle with, why am I here? I don't know what purpose God has for me being here. And, and, and to me... That is so sad and tragic because we've been called and you have a calling upon your life. And you've not only been called to have a relationship with God and be in fellowship with God, but God is giving you a personal calling each and every day. And there is someone or something that you can do every day to make an eternal impact for him. If we're just sensitive to it and we're just open to it. And that's part of why he's telling us, you guys are called, don't forget that. As you wake up tomorrow on Wednesday morning, the 28th, 29th, 29th, I'm losing day. You and I will never have November 29th, 2006 ever back again. But tomorrow can be a great day for us, for God and for others if we recognize that when we wake up tomorrow and we strive to be real, be a servant and be humble, that God has a great purpose for us being alive that day. And you and I may not even know even tonight before we wake up tomorrow what that purpose is. That's the cool thing about being, working alongside of God. He may have somebody that he wants us to connect with tomorrow that we don't even know. Somebody maybe we haven't even met. But if we're open and sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, we may come in contact with somebody that, that's either going to change our life a little bit or change their life or both of our lives. And if we approach every day that way, think about how that changes the way we live. 
on an everyday basis. We're called. And, and there's never a day for a Christian where it's just a day where God's up there in heaven going, all right, November 29, 2006. Uh, Jeff, that, that's really a day you could just stay in bed. You, you, you know, you don't. And, and you know what? God's purpose for Jeff Royce might be to stay in bed on tomorrow. I don't know. You know, sometimes God does, you know. But all I'm saying is, God has a reason for me to be alive tomorrow. He's called me to his purpose. Then, wrapped in the love of God the Father. I love that. He's reminding us also that never forget that God has said, I love you with an everlasting love. And as again, I've shared with you many times over here, God's love for you is as hot today as it's ever been. And God cannot love you or I any more than He already has. And He will never love you and I any less than He already has. He loves you and I with an everlasting, unconditional love. And He wraps us up in that love. And we've got to face every day knowing that whatever I face that day, and whatever circumstances I go through, and sometimes those circumstances are going to be yucky. I mean, if you read the rest of the book of Jude, you come to find out it's not easy what Jude is asking these believers to do and to be involved with, but it's, it's God's work and it's God's purpose for them. But never forget that God is loving them the whole time and it, nothing can ever separate them from that love. In fact, I know this is a familiar passage, but this is one of my favorite passages. Let's go back to the book of Romans. And if you've not, if you're not familiar with this passage, please mark it in your Bible. Romans chapter 8. I don't think God could be any more clear than what He is here in Romans chapter 8. Because here's what's going to happen. There's going to come a point in your life, or maybe even during the day, you may even wake up tomorrow saying, I know God loves me. But because of what happens tomorrow, you may come to the point that, I don't, I don't think God loves me. And again, we need to just claim these promises and, and trust in His Word and believe what He says. Let's start at verse 35 of Romans chapter 8. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we encounter death all day long, we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we have complete victory through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor heavenly rulers, nor things that are present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Never. Ever. There's never going to come a point... Where God says, I don't love you anymore. Or, I love you a little bit less today than what I did last week. That's never going to happen. Now, again, what's hard for us as human beings to wrap our mind around that concept is because we live in a world where human beings don't treat us that way. Where their love for us or the way they look at us runs hot and cold. You know, some weeks we're on the top of their list and they really love us. And there's other weeks of the year where, yeesh, you know, it's not good. And people are fickle. 
And relationships can up and down and all of that. And yet here's God saying, no, constant with me. It's constant. Nothing's ever going to separate. I don't care. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Never, never, never. And we've got to carry that thought and that truth and that promise through our day, every day, all day. Because in the days in which we live, Satan and the world and our own flesh is going to tell us throughout the day, God doesn't love me. God doesn't love me. And maybe my circumstances look like God doesn't love me. I don't know. But we've got to walk by faith, not by sight. And we've got to trust in the everlasting love of God. And so Jude, again, is saying, be real, be serving, be humble. Realize that we have a great purpose. Realize that we have a great love behind us. Oh, and then notice this. Back to Jude, verse 1. And we're also kept for Jesus Christ. We have a great security. The, the word kept literally means safekeeping. And, and Jude here is simply saying, listen, I know that the days in the world in which you live in it can be a very unsafe place to you. But you've got to understand, understand God's going to see you through. And, and God's not going to start something and then not finish it. God's going to see this process and this relationship with you through because, again, it's built on an everlasting love. So don't think that somehow God's going to get to a point where He abandons you and, and doesn't protect you and, and keep you to the point where He's going to get you to where He wants to get you. You're going to get there. This is a theme that is just over and over again. Repeated in Scripture. Paul says in Philippians 1.6, He who begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 8, If God called you, and He justified you, and He sanctified you, He'll glorify you. He's not going to get halfway through the process. God's not this mad scientist up there in heaven doing these experiments and going, hmm, Jeff, no, okay, I'm not going to, yeah, you know, and throw me away. God's going to see the whole process through from beginning to end. And that's part of what this means in Jude when he says you are kept not only by Jesus Christ, but for Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus Christ prayed this prayer for his own disciples and then for future believers back in the Gospel of John. Go there with me. You put John chapter 17. Look at the great high priestly prayer of Jesus in John's Gospel, chapter 17. Let's be reminded about what Jesus says here in these words. John chapter 17. uh, Let's begin in verse 10. John chapter 17, Gospel of John chapter 17, verse 10. Jesus says to the Father, and you know what's cool about this? If you want to get a hint in on the conversation that God has with God, study John chapter 17. It's one of the few places in the Bible where the Bible actually reveals to us a conversation between God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ. John 17, one of the few places. Here's Jesus talking to God the Father. Everything I have belongs to you. 
And everything you have belongs to me. Just the unity of the Trinity, if you will. And I have been glorified by them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, notice, keep them safe in your name that you have given me so that they may be one just as we are one. But notice that phrase, keep them safe. Verse 12, when I was with them, I kept them safe and watched over them in your name that you have given me. Not one of them was lost except the one destined for destruction, Judas, so that the scripture could be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you and I am saying these things in the world so they may experience my joy completed in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they do not belong to the world just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, notice, but that you keep them safe from the evil one. Those phrases, keep them safe, have the same root as the word kept in Jude chapter 1. And when Jude tells Christians that we are kept for Jesus Christ, you can tie that in with Jesus' own prayer to the Father when He said, hey, I kept them safe while I was here. Now, Father, you kept keep them safe when I come up there. And God's all about keeping His children safe. Now, that doesn't mean that no harm or no sickness or nothing ever bad will ever happen. What it means is that what God started in my life, He's going to complete. So in other words, if I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, He's going to conform me to the image of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to, go to, I'm going to get to heaven. There, there's not going to be something along life's way or even after I die that's going to prevent me from getting to the destination God has already purposed for me to get to. I'm going to get there. And that anything that God does allow in my life, He's not allowing it to destroy me, but to strengthen me. It's like this. If I truly believe that I am in the hands of God, then the only way that something can get to me is it has to pass through the hands of God first. And if it passes through the hands of God, I have to trust that He is an all-wise God and knows that that thing that He allowed to pass through His hands and get to me is actually something not to destroy me, not to discourage me, but to build me up and to strengthen me and to increase my faith in Him and to make me more like Him. And you can use example after example after example in the Bible of those type of situations, whether it's Paul's thorn in the flesh that we've talked about here before, whether it's Job from the Old Testament or whatever, that when God allowed something to get through and touch one of his children, it was to actually make it better in the long run. Look at Joseph. Joseph hadn't done anything wrong except dream dreams. But he was thrown in the pit by his brothers and thrown in prison by Potiphar. But one day, he was going to realize those dreams that God gave him and he was going to be the second most powerful man on the planet at that point in history. Only Pharaoh was more powerful than Joseph. But he had to go through the pit. And he had to go through that prison experience to build the character that would, he would need to be where he was one day. And God knows that in His wisdom. And that's why we don't discount the things that God allows in our life, even sometimes those trials, because that's why the Bible says, count it all joy when those trials come. 
Because those trials, if we rightly react and respond to them, are going to produce character. And the only thing character is going to do is make us more effective. We're going to be more real. And we're going to be a better servant. And we're going to be even more humble. And God's going to be able to use us even in greater ways. And we're going to be filled with a peace that passes all understanding. We're going to be filled with a joy that the world and no circumstances can take away. And all of that fruit comes from those things. So, Jude says, guys, living before the time of the unraveling of the events of Revelation, be real, be serving, be humble. Know that every day has a purpose behind it. Know that God loves you with an everlasting love. Know that you are secure and protected by God Himself. And then, verse 2 of Jude. May mercy, peace, and love be lavished or multiplied upon you. And there we not only learn from verse 1 about the great purpose that we have in Christ and the great love we have through Christ and the great security we have in Christ, but the great resources that are ours through Christ. That everything that we need, God will supply. You need a lot of mercy in the days in which we live, and that word mercy, another word that we could use there is compassion. Oh my goodness, do we need, a, do we need compassionate people today? Because we live in a world where there's a lot of anger out there. A lot of bitterness. A lot of hate. And God wants us to be compassionate with the compassion of Jesus Christ. And so I love what Jude says. He says, you know what? You need a lot of it. <laughs> because the times in which you live you're going to need more mercy and compassion than we have even in the past. May it be multiplied. May it be like the, the more you need, the more God will give you. And then peace. Oh my goodness. We live in a world that just, I, I don't know about you, but as a pastor and a counselor, it makes me ache. I mean, the people that I deal with, Christian and non-Christian, who have no peace at all in their life. I mean, none. And they're trying to find peace through everything. I'm not even going to start naming it. They have no tranquility of mind at all. They, they haven't got a good night's sleep, and I couldn't tell you when. And we live in a world like that. I mean, they tell us that there's just so many people out there today that just lack that peace in their life. They're just all churned up inside and and it's just, it's terrible. God says, may peace be multiplied to you folks. God wants us to experience that peace. That peace that passes all understanding that will give us such a, a tranquil mind. So that we're not all churned up and agitated all the time. Just incredible. The gentleman that came here two weeks ago for the first time at Cornerstone. I'm going to tell you his story because you're probably going to hear his story sometime down in the future. Been working with him and whatever. And I, I don't want to go into the whole thing, but let me just give you a synopsis of it. This man was a millionaire many, many times over. 
He's a young guy. He's not even out of his 20s yet. He lost it all through cocaine. His cocaine habit has totally left him completely broken and without anything. He's having to start all over again, back up. But here's the cool thing. He realizes that in a sense, by losing everything stuff-wise, that he's gained a relationship with Christ. And that, no, he might not ever have the stuff that he had before he met Christ, but he considers himself far richer now than he ever was before. And he said, you know what? If it took me losing everything I ever had in my life to gain Christ, it was worth it. It sort of reminds you of what Jesus said to that guy in the Bible when he says, you can gain your whole world, but if you lose your soul, what good is it? What's real value? And you see, materialism can be defined this way. Materialism is where you live in a society where everybody knows the price of everything but the value of nothing. We know the price of everything, but do we really know the value of anything? And sometimes it takes someone like this young man to experience what he did to sort of put everything back in perspective. Hey, he's got, and he knows this. And any of you that know what cocaine addiction, that's a lifetime struggle for this this young man. Even with Christ, it's a lifetime struggle. But the cool thing is, and he knows this, at least at this point, he knows that Jesus Christ can give him whatever he needs to beat this for the rest of his life too. He just has to keep relying upon Jesus, keep his eyes focused on Jesus, Because Jesus has unlimited resources for whatever we need. And whatever God is calling you to, God's going to give you the resources for. And that's what Jude is saying to us in this day and age. May mercy, peace, and love be lavished or multiplied upon you. And you know, when you think about it, and the word in my translation is lavished, but the original really does mean multiplied. Math was my worst subject. So I'm not a math whiz, but I do know one thing. When you begin to compare adding and multiplication, oh my goodness. You know, 4 plus 4 only equals 8, but 4 times 4 equals 16, twice as much. And, and the whole thing is here is Jude is saying, when there's times in your life where you need multiplied mercy and multiplied peace and multiplied love, God's going to be there for you. And, and the cool thing is that Whatever level of mercy, peace, and love you and I need, God's going to be there. He's going to enable it. Because Paul says in Philippians 4.19, My God will supply all your need according to His riches and glory. So that whatever we need, God's going to supply it. So I can never say as a Christian that God's asking me to do this, but He hasn't given me this to do it. God would say, no, I've given you everything you need. just need to tap into it. Just need to tap into it. 
So the book of Jude is just an unbelievable book. Just, oh man, filled with so much stuff and we've just gotten through two verses. You can imagine. It's not like, eh, you know, our salvation is just average. That's not what the word common there means. He means equal. And what he is simply saying there, and we've talked about this before in the mind, is that I didn't get more of God than you did when you got saved. That when you and I accepted Jesus Christ, we have a common salvation. All right? We, along with the brother of Jesus himself, are on equal footing when we got saved. Jude didn't get more of the Holy Spirit than we did just because he was the brother of Jesus. Jude didn't get more of the Holy Spirit because he was a disciple of Jesus living at the time of Jesus. No, it's a common salvation. But notice he says, I now feel compelled instead of writing about... And salvation would have been a great subject to write about. I mean, I would have loved a letter on how great our salvation is. That, that's a good topic. But Jude says, because I know the situation at hand today, and because under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I know what it's going to be like one day, I am compelled to write to you to ask you and to encourage you to contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. A couple things. I think this verse points out the importance of walking in the Spirit and of being sensitive to the Spirit's leading in my life. Because what I get out of that is that Jude was sitting down going to write on this subject and because he was open to the Holy Spirit's leading in his life and prompting in his life, he had to change direction. And I know I'm not talking Greek here to those of us who've been Christians for any length of time because you know what I'm talking about. Because any of us who've been Christians for a while, we've all experienced those same promptings or nudgings or leadings of the Holy Spirit in our life. Where we maybe start to do this and then it's like, no, the Holy Spirit says this. I experienced it just today, just this morning. There was somebody that I was thinking I'm going to try to come alongside of and, and just try to encourage a little bit. And as I got into the office today, it's a fellow staff member, as I got into the office today, I just felt impressed by the Holy Spirit to just back off today and not go there. And I just deferred to him. I figured he knows what's best and it, it was, I think it's a timing thing. I didn't get the impression, don't seek to do that again, just today wasn't a good day. And I know for some people, they're like, what? But again, I know for those of you who've been Christians for a while, you understand that's exactly what Jude was experiencing. I, I started to go down this road, but I really felt impressed by God to change direction and go down this road. And that only comes when we are sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading in our life. And that's why the Bible says that the best thing we can do as Christians is to walk in the Spirit. And the reason he uses the word walk and not run is because it's an everyday thing. It's a daily, even hourly thing where I'm walking under the influence and under the control and under the promptings and leadings of the Holy Spirit of God. I may have this plan, but maybe God wants to change my plan. You see, 
And I need to be open to that, even on a daily basis, as I open myself up to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And then I love this. He says, you guys, we are living in in such a day and age where the Christians need to stand up and stand up for the truth of God's Word and contend earnestly for the faith. And the faith here is not the act of believing. It is the body of truth that has been entrusted to the saints by God. And you will notice that even at that time in the early church, they had a body of truth that they knew that they were to defend and fight for because it was under attack. And how much more, thousands of years later, has the Bible continued to be under attack and it's only going to get more intense until Jesus comes back. And one of the mandates for us as Christians who claim to be followers of Christ is not just to read the Bible and memorize the Bible and meditate on the Bible and share the Bible and study the Bible, but to defend the Bible. That's what he means by contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. Because this book that we hold in our hands tonight is a stewardship. Jude says, God entrusted us with this truth. And the only way the next generation is going to get the truth is if we defend it and pass it on as it came to us. And not allow people to change it. And not allow people to twist it. As we talked about in our study of 2 Peter. Now, let me point this out. To contend for the faith doesn't mean to be contentious as we contend. You know? We have to have the right attitude when we defend our faith. But I'm not backing down for defending the faith because the Bible commands me to defend this faith. And notice here, another very important phrase. Notice the phrase, once for all. That's huge. Because what that meant was this. That in God's mind, What he gave to the church, what he gave to entrust to the saints, was done once and for all. And he wasn't going to come along 50 years later, 100 years later, or 1,000 years later, and add anything to it, because he wasn't going to expect his children to defend a moving target. Okay, God, you, 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 you said this back here, but now you've changed your mind. and you So now i got to do No, God says, I gave you my truth. Here it was, once and for all. Believe it, study it, know it, and defend it. And it's not going to change. I'm not going to come along and change what I once and for all gave to you. It's, it's going to stay. So that I don't have to worry, again, about God saying somewhere along the line, well, I changed my mind about how I think about that, so now you're going to have... No, God says, I've been totally consistent throughout history. And my revelation to man has been totally consistent. God doesn't stutter. And so when God spoke, He spoke very clearly. He spoke very plainly. He spoke once and for all. And that was it. And now he takes it to us and says, contend for it. Because it's going to come under attack. And the attacks of the Bible are only going to get more, the attacks on the Bible are only going to get more intense. And let me just say, from my perspective, as someone who's been to seminaries and spoke at seminaries and went to seminaries and all of that, 
that even the most, what we would call conservative biblical seminaries today in our country are under attack. That you can't find many seminaries out there where pastors and missionaries are studying the Bible where what I call liberal theology is not creeping into that seminary. And if I told you some of the things that they're teaching in these seminaries, you'd be like, you're kidding me. No. Because isn't that what Jude says? When he says in verse 4 that the battle for truth is not going to come outside the church, the battle for truth is going to come inside the church because certain men have secretly slipped in among you. And we talked about this in the mind. That that's what Satan does. His strategy is... Not to come at us from the outside, but to sow seeds of error and false doctrine and false teaching from within and weaken the church from within. And that's why it's every Christian's responsibility to contend for the faith. And this letter wasn't just written to pastors and missionaries and Bible school teachers and professors, this letter of Jude was written to every Christian. And it's every Christian's responsibility to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints because men and women are creeping into the church, bringing in, notice, destructive heresies who long ago were marked out for the condemnation I am about to describe, ungodly men who have turned the grace of our God into a license for evil and who deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. They twist, I mean, there's a lot of things that we've talked about as far as false doctrine and false teaching, but the primary thing is that one of the things they're going to do in the last days, they're going to twist the grace of God. They're going to presume upon the grace of God. Isn't God a God of grace? So, can't we just live however we want to and God will forgive us for it anyway? I mean, and so that's why in the church, you have as much sin inside the church as you do outside the church. Because there's not a lot of preaching on holiness and on purity in a lot of churches and on all of that. It's, it's just about God's a God of grace. He'll, he'll forgive you. Just live however you want to and it'll all wash out in the end. And God says, yeah, I'm a God of grace and I extend my grace to human beings, but don't take advantage of it. Don't presume upon it. In fact, Paul says in Romans 6.1, should we continue in sin so that God's grace may abound? He says, God forbid. If I truly love God, do I just want to sort of, you know, oh God, I'm just going to go out and sin because I know you're going to forgive me anyway for it. What kind of attitude is that? That's almost taking what God has given us as a gift and shoving it in His face. And yet, that's going to be one of the attitudes in the last days. Now, God's grace is risky. Everything God does is risky. Because God knows, hey, I can extend my grace to a human being and they can take advantage of me. Have human beings not taken advantage of God over the years? Yeah. We all do, in fact. We all take advantage of God's grace. But the thing is that the, the committed follower of Jesus Christ is not going to try to take advantage of that grace. Instead, be thankful for the love and grace we have and try to live a life that pleases God rather than a life that just takes advantage of the grace that God extends. I mean, you and I wouldn't like it if people treated us that way. 
Do we like it whenever we feel people are taking advantage of us and just using us for what they can get out of us? I don't know about you. That I don't like that. And yet, that's what these people are saying we could do with God. Hey, if God's a God of grace and He'll forgive you anyway. Just do it. Is that really the attitude? In fact, notice Jude says, by that attitude, they're denying the Lord. That, that's not an attitude that's going to honor the Lord. That's an attitude that's going to deny the Lord. And then he goes through, and I don't want to take time, but from verse 5, really through verse 16, he just gives historical examples of pretenders and, and people who have slipped in and caused a lot of problems. And how God has dealt with them. And it's no small thing with God. But then when you get to the very end of the book, Jude gives us sort of a prescription of how we can live and stay strong besides what he told us in the first couple of verses at the end of the book. I'm just going to pick it up at verse 17, but the, the verses I want to concentrate on are verses 20 and 21. He says again, but you dear friends, and there again he's reminding us that God loves us and don't ever forget that. Recall the predictions foretold by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. For they said to you, in the end time there will come scoffers. And we talked about these people in 2 Peter. Propelled by their own ungodly desires. These people are divisive. They don't bring unity to the body of Christ. They divide the body of Christ. They're worldly. Their mindset is more on the world and what they can get out of the world than on spiritual things. And they are devoid of the Spirit. Meaning they're not a Christian. Because to be a Christian, you've got to have the Holy Spirit. But they have sown their way into the body of Christ. They are like Judas. They are pretenders, but they are not real. So, verse 20, but you, dear friends, and see the contrast? He says, hey, but you're not like them. You're distinct. You're different because you're a child of God. And here's what you and I need to do then in our lives to be different. We need to build ourselves up on our most holy faith every day. And the best way you and I can build ourselves up in our holy faith is by studying the Word of God. Acts 20, verse 32. Look that verse up. Paul says, I commend you to the Word of His grace which is able to build you up. The best way we can build ourselves up spiritually in our faith is is to study, and that's why the mind. You guys on Tuesday night are trying to build yourselves up in your holy faith. Anytime you can go to a Bible study or get into a Bible study or learn the Bible more and whatever, you are building up yourself. And notice, it's primarily our responsibility. Each of us has the individual responsibility for our own faith in building ourselves up. It's not Pastor Lynn's responsibility to make me a mature Christian. It's my responsibility. Now, God can give Pastor Lynn or Pastor Ron and other people to us to help along that process, but I'm still ultimately responsible for building myself up. And that primarily comes from my relationship to the Word of God. Then notice, by praying in the Holy Spirit. So again, it goes back to those two basics. The Word of God and prayer that we've talked about over and over again. And when he says praying in the Holy Spirit again, he's just saying praying under the direction and in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. 
Don't you find most times when you want to pray that there's a spiritual struggle there to pray? And it's almost like we need the Holy Spirit's help to be able to pray and to pray at least for a minute before we fall asleep. (laughs) To pray for any length of time and to pray in earnest over something and to truly pray. We need the Holy Spirit's help. And that's what he means by praying in the Holy Spirit. We can't pray and have a dynamic prayer life on our own, in our own strength. We need the Holy Spirit to empower us in our prayer life. And I don't know about you, but I'll tell you what, I've been in some prayer meetings where I've heard some Christians pray, and I can tell you what, they have the Holy Spirit empowering them. Because I mean, when they pray, it's like, whoa. And then, maintain yourselves in the love of God. Verse 21. Well, Now, wait a minute, Jeff. I thought God loved me with an everlasting love. And this verse makes it sound like I need to do something to keep God loving me or something. What's up with that? Here's what he's saying. And the best illustration that I can give you is the story of the prodigal son. If you know the story of the prodigal son, the father never stopped loving his son who disobeyed, rebelled, turned away in sin and left the father's house. Father never stopped loving the son. But the son, because of his rebellion, his sin, and his disobedience, took himself out of the place where he could truly enjoy the father's love because of that broken fellowship. His father never stopped loving him, but the son couldn't enjoy his father's love anymore because of that. So when Jude says, maintain yourselves in the love of God, he says, keep yourself in the place where God can bless you and where you can experience that love. To its fullest. Don't go out there living in sin and rebellion and disobedience against God. Because even though God will love you just as much as you're out there as you would be in the house, you can't enjoy it as much. And that's what it's all about. It's not experiencing the love of God. That's everlasting. It's about enjoying the love of God. It's not about breaking the relationship because that can never be broken. It's about broken fellowship. And so he's saying, keep yourself in that sweet spot where you truly are are experiencing the love and blessings of God and and God is just and you just you just know his hands upon you. You're not out there trying to live in the world and Live for God at the same time. And then, always anticipating the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that brings eternal life. I think this is just saying, be expectant of the Lord's coming and of His return every day. Live with that anticipation and expectation because that will affect how we live. Think that this could be the last, you know, November 29th, Wednesday, November 29th, that could be the last day I live on earth. So I'm going to soak it all up. Jesus could come tomorrow. So I'm going to take advantage of it and live every day that way, anticipating, looking for. I mean, that does affect the way we live. I remember as a little child, I was closer to my grandfather Caparossi. Yes, he was Italian. Born in Montefiascone, Italy, about 20 miles northwest of Rome. He and I just had a special relationship. And when my grandfather, Nello Caparossi, was coming, and when, when I would get up and mom would say, your grandfather is coming today, I'd be like, really? 
And I'd get ready and I'd be there at the window and I would open and I'd just, I'd just watch for my grandfather to come because I couldn't wait for my grandfather because when my grandfather came, he and I had the best time. I couldn't wait. I was in, it, it affected because I so wanted that. That's what Jude is saying here. Having that kind of of mindset towards the return of Christ. And we just can't wait for Him to come because we so want to be with Him and, and we want to live as, as if He could come at any moment. And then He just goes on to say, oh, and why, after, after you've built yourself up and you've filled your spiritual tank, then God can use you to affect and make an impact on other people, making a difference in their lives, verse 22 and 23. And have mercy on those who waver. And there are going to be a lot of people who are wavering in these days, whose faith is going to be shaken, and we need to have patience and compassion and mercy on them. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. In a sense, some of us have to be spiritual firemen that go into these very dangerous situations and are willing to put our lives on the line, snatching these people out of the fire. And sometimes we even have to be spiritual lifeguards. Having mercy on others coupled with the fear of God, hating even the clothes stained by the flesh. And then I love the benediction of the book of Jude. One of the best benedictions in all the Word of God. I love it. Because he says all this, then he wants to remind us, oh, by the way, building yourselves up, praying, maintaining that love and anticipating the return and making a difference in other people's lives, don't forget, you're not doing it on your own. God's right there with you, beside of you, every step of the way. So that's why he says and reminds us in verse 24 and 25, now to the one who is able. You know what? I like that. I hope tomorrow when we get up that one of the thoughts we get up with is God is able. To the one who is able to keep you from falling. And that doesn't mean sinning and it doesn't mean stumbling. Again, this is falling from a fall that I can't get up from. And what God is saying is, Jesus Christ will never permit you or I as His children to fall a fall that we cannot get up from. Because we're going to fall. We've talked about that. But when a Christian falls, God enables us to get back up. Jude is saying, God will prevent you from falling a fall that you can never get up from. And to cause you to stand, rejoicing without blemish before His glorious presence, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, and now and for all eternity. Amen. Wow, what a letter. What a letter. Did you see that in verse 24? God is able to make you and I stand before His presence without blemish. Because we're not standing in our own righteousness. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, He not only forgives us of our sin, but He gives us a righteousness that is not our own. Jesus Christ's righteousness. And that's why in God's perspective, it's as good as done. When He looks at me, it's as if I'm already standing in heaven with Him. Because He's going to see it through anyway. And He's not up there wringing His hands worried about the fact Jeff's going to do something to goof this up. Because, listen, Jeff Royce on his own would goof it up. But God's going to be with me every step of the way and make sure I get there. I get there, even through these tough times in which I live. So take the message of Jude with you 
not only today, but this coming week and through this holiday season. Read the book, study it for yourself. It is one of the most awesome letters in all of the Bible, and I think it will fill you with encouragement and build you up. Thank you so much for enduring the message on the book of Jude tonight. I was going to do that in three weeks, and we got it done in one, okay? So we got over a little bit. Let's close in prayer, and I'll let you folks go. Lord God, thank you so much again for the encouragement that you give us in your word. Lord, take us this next many weeks that we're going to be away from each other and just uh, help us to be responsible to build ourselves up until we meet back again, able to encourage each other in that. Lord, we look forward to getting back in this room when it's all done in January and then being over in the new building in March. And Lord, we look forward to just a great group of people who want to study your word and continue to grow and Lord, thank you for these who've been so faithful throughout this semester and for the new ones who've come. And Lord, I just pray you would encourage us and just give us a great, great end of the year. May we go out in 2006, Lord, uh, just very strong, spiritually speaking. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You've been terrific. Thank you, thank you, thank you.